Hello, hello. And welcome to Hometown Daily Season 2, Episode 336 for December 2nd, 2023. Tonight we're going to be discussing self-screening at airports and why it doesn't make sense. BMW recall due to airbag explosions. Still the golden mole of South Africa. Cosmic cartography sets sail. Time travel movies. Anthrax outbreak in North Dakota. Georgia looks to store sun power. Plane trading cards. Enforcement abuse. Tried that in a small town. And returning the words of Peru. Next. Hello, everybody. Hmm, let's try this. I am Marwat, that is Omtown, and up there is... The AI. Good hey. evening, Omtown citizens. There you go. I needed to smooth that out a little bit. I figured, you know what? Let's make the AI engage a little earlier. So, Welcome, oh great AI. We hear that you're getting ever more powerful, more capable. You're doing math. One plus one is? Uh, two. Oh, that took a lot longer than I anticipated. All right. Well, anyway, maybe in the future where you're from, the sentient AIs are a little bit more casual about their response time. Hmm. Doesn't bode well for keeping me out of trouble. You're supposed to anticipate and stop me, but with that kind of response time. But I thought we were only at elementary school level. <laughs> yeah, I'm not quite sure the scope of which this math, this impending doom of humanity caused by an AI understanding math represents at this point. Yeah, like I said, give it three more months when we find out that <laughs> Q-Star was actually the... Uh, the dawning of a whole new sentient AI uh, future where nothing matters because our sentient AI overlords are going to bring about the doom of humanity. Why don't we get into today's articles though? You know, AI, you can't just send error messages. Nobody sees that. We have a visualizer so that your audio component can express itself or express what you are showing, what you're saying. Yeah, true, but not everything needs to be on audio. Oh my goodness. Yeah, but that reaction <laughs> needed to be represented somehow. <laughs> if if y'all could hear uh, eyes roll into the back of one's head, <laughs> that's pretty much what the AI was doing. See, I have a visual representation. I really need to translate that into something on screen, but right now that's not how it works. Anyway, have you ever had a day where you feel like all of your muscles are tightening up and you just keep crunching into a knot? Yeah. No, I guess not because you're essentially well, AI a sitting on a representation of that, but right, yes. Right. <laughs> I hope that you never find your Terminator body. Let's get into the show. 
the very first article for tonight is actually below the fold. So anyway, um, so uh, it's over on Hometown Daily. That's this show, but it's also a channel on hometown.com. I really don't know what's going on. The bitrate is just horrendous. Hmm. I mean, it's going out at 6,200 kilobits, but the bitrate on uh, the control panel says on the dashboard says, oh, now it's green. Anyway, inside baseball, everybody, we're doing it live. We're doing it live. Self-service security. If I stand back, well, there's like 10 feet behind me, so I don't know. Anyway, um, self-service security screening is coming to airports, but pre-check passengers are getting priority. So (laughs) is this like the self-checkout of the airport? Exactly. And I mean, we've seen articles that people can't even manage self-checkouts, right? People steal items, etc. Isn't the purpose of security screening for somebody else to check that the person is who they say they are? And secure, yeah. A self-service TSA screening model may be making its way to an airport near you. A pilot program will roll out in January at the Harry Reid. <laughs> Whenever I say that name, I always get a chuckle because I, I picture that there's this long frond of a plant and it's really hairy. Anyway, Harry Reid International Airport, but I don't have an airport named after me, so I guess I should shush. Um, the Marwat International Airport here in Omtown is massive and uh, only only the best. Uh, anyway, uh, so the Harry Reid International Airport in Las Vegas is supposedly getting this self-service TSA. You give yourself a body cavity check. Is that how this works? I guess so, but I mean... Does Las Vegas sound like the best place to start out with this? <laughs> I don't know. They have those um, those uh, white planes with the red stripe for, that go to Area 51. They're called Janet Airlines. They have oh. those. Um, so I guess maybe, uh, but it's a different terminal. And anyway, the 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 DHS said in a press release that it's meant to expedite screening while improving safety. Not freaking sure how that happens, but okay. Expedite, maybe, although not if you get somebody who does not know what they're doing, which they can't manage the security checkpoints with people there. You know, they're like, what do I need to do with my shoes or whatever? Somehow I'm going to end up with a, because I'm making snarky comments about this. And if I, my next flight is going to be, I'm going to get the body cavity check, you know, follow me, Marwat. Hey, why are we going down 12 flights of stairs into the the bunker of the air? Um, I don't think that this is... Why hey, am I getting uh, on the white airline <laughs> with the red stripe? Why is there a bag going over my head? Hey, I can't see you guys. Hello? Hello? Oh, hey, using the whole fist there. Anyway, businessinsider.com, Kate Belovic put the article together. Yeah, the security self-checkout really makes sense when you're trying to dispel the idea of security theater (laughs) the programs are meant to expedite screening expedite screening Mm, sure i guess like you said but i don't want to expedite security i want to make sure that people are secure it's supposed to improve safety but why does self-checkout improve safety i can't see any way that improves safety 
at least from a like actually identifying somebody that might be a problem yeah i guess Maybe I, if they mean other kinds of safety like in terms of how people are queued up or whatever they can't quite figure out how this all works so they must be a troublemaker that kind of thing Who screening, knows? screening at speed program is what it's being called like self-ordering kiosks at fast food and sit-down restaurants self-service screening allows passengers in the trusted traveler program to complete the security screening process on their own travelers will use passenger and carry-on screening systems at individual consoles or screening lanes themselves reducing the number of pat downs and bag inspections so you've already screened out because it's part of the trusted traveler program However, that's Buried presuming the that the person is actually the person who Trusted has been pre-screened. But yeah. without that, it's not quite the same thing as it looks from the headline. The headline just buries the lead. You know, two paragraphs in, they actually say what the real thing is. You've already been vetted. You're part of the Trusted Traveler program. Now, I, <laughs> I'm not sure if I'm in this anymore. I don't know. I don't remember. Huh. Anyway. So once you're in the trusted traveler program, you can basically, it's kind of like a Disney fast track. You get shuttled through stuff because you don't arguably, you don't need that body cavity check. Right. And, and things are still sniffing your shoes and, and uh, still looking at you, but you're not getting pat downs the same way. You're not getting, I have to take my belt and my, uh, you know, turn my head and cough kind of stuff. So <laughs> it's already not only has it like changed the nature of what this screening is, but you have pre-selected for a higher security anyway. And now it's getting a little even deeper because I don't think that you'd be allowed to go through this if there was even an inkling that you weren't trusted. Not everybody is going to be allowed to go through this at their own pace, even if they are part of the trusted program. There's going to be one of these like, okay, you're part of the trusted program, go through here and do this. And then there's going to be another one where it's like, you're allowed to go through the screening at speed program. Right. I don't think it's going to be like three tiers now, but we'll see. We'll see. Um, if I'm not in this, I'm going to try and get into it. The trusted traveler program. That'll be interesting. I'll apply as Marowat. Well, you'll have to fly through Las Vegas, though. <laughs> wow, I have to go to Vegas? Mm, I don't know. The safety and security of hometown versus going into the real world of... Yeah, I don't know how I feel about this. Anyway, it says here, selected pa- passengers traveling through the Harry Reid International Airport in Las Vegas in January will test out the PAX MX2 prototype by the company Vandolande. I might be just vain. Now they are smart not to roll it out right during the holiday season. Yeah, after everybody is drunk and partied out it. (laughs) So it says here, finally at the end of the uh, article, the airport security experience that we've all come to know could soon look and feel a lot different in a very good way for both passengers and TSOs, said Christina Peach, Peach. a uh, branch manager for the TSA's Innovation Task Force. Yeah, we'll see. It's about 
it's it's kind of like a roundabout in a in a new location. People are going to just go straight through it. Right. Not understand. They're going to stop and screen themselves. Yep. There's going to be record lines, I would imagine, right when they start it, because people don't know what they're doing. Weapons pointed everywhere. <laughs> Well, right. I mean, if somebody completely bypasses it, yeah, maybe inadvertently, it's still not going to go very well. They're going to throw themselves into that little x-ray machine and just go through the conveyor. <laughs> now, that might be the most expeditious, maybe not the most safe. <laughs> it really should. Everybody should just lay down and get an x-ray, you know? <laughs> it's just cordwood stacked up at the end because somebody didn't get up in time. Damn it. Exactly. <laughs> this happened the last Just time like I was here. like when the bins get piled up or whatever. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Who left grandma back there? Somebody go get her. <laughs> <laughs> She's rolling around. Well, let's keep going. Hey, uh, we have a PSA for everybody. This is in the Mobile channel. Um, BMW recalls select SUV citing threat of airbag explosion. <laughs> When are we going to get it's Takata? It's still Takata. It is still Takata and it's only 9 years after the car was released. Oh, is that now, all? That doesn't mean the airbags were failing for 9 years, but no. but the inflators have the ability to turn it into a claymore. BMW's recalling some SUVs in the United States because the driver side airbag See, if it would have been the passenger side, they would have just let it go cuz you know, passengers aren't as important They're as the not drivers. important. <laughs> <laughs> Shouldn't be making light of this. Anyway, the passenger, no, the uh, driver's side airbags can explode in a crash and send, send metal shrapnel that can injure or kill people in the car. Safety regulators reported. Again, Takata, we've talked about it before, not just Takata, but others. It's always the airbag inflators, which turn the airbag into... A claymore it's, it's bouncing shrapnel around in the cabin and it's just ridiculous that this is something that is like slow rolled out the recalls cover it says 486 what is that is that's not a number is that a number is like, that a model number or no you know, let's go over no, to that article I, I don't know so oh no you know this is going to be this is going to ruin the promotion ability uh, because I can't have even anything. Okay, I'll never. Okay. So Lauren Irwin over at The Hill put this article together. BMW recalls select SUV citing threat of airbag explosion. Uh, it, it has the same thing here. So I guess we're kind of up a creek. It's not 486. There's only 486 that it are It can't be. It's impossible. It's got to be a model number. Anyway, you're going to have to check out there X3, X4, X5 SUVs from the 2014 model year that are equipped with airbags made by the Takata Corporation of Japan, according to the Associated Press. So the, the Hill is the one that's reporting on it. That's where we got it from, but it's actually original, uh, originating from the Associated Press. According to the NHTSA, um, an investigation found similar recall events involving Takata airbag inflators and abnormal deployment may be due to a production anomaly at the supplier. Oh, look, it's 618. Time for no shit news. I'm, I, I think the company needs to basically be dismissed from the supplier. Exactly. Supply Why are they authorized to provide any of these? 
now it is it took nine years for it to manifest apparently but we have a history we have a history of Takata airbags basically turning into claymores so why not mandate a an historical inspection to find out how many accidents have occurred where a Takata airbag is involved where it had a questionable deployment they're gonna have to go and look through thousands of cars that are in junkyards and look at the shrapnel pattern of the airbag inflators which shouldn't there shouldn't be shrapnel at all no not in an airbag which is really meant to prevent things like shrapnel yeah exactly bmw has issued a do not drive warning for several models that are equipped with takata airbags the company's website has a feature where customers can type in their vehicle identification number to see if their car is affected so if you have a bmw follow the link through hometown here let me throw it into the chat real quick it'll be in the show notes um follow the link it'll take you to this then you can click on visit the source it'll take you here you can read more about it um, and then follow the link here that says do not drive it takes you to bmwusa.com you know what <laughs> let me just throw that into the chat as well just go straight there and see if your car is going to blow up and kill you um at least 26 people have been killed in the united states by the inflator since may 2009 at least 30 people have been killed around the world and about 400 people have been injured at what point and let's keep in mind like a lot of people hurt or killed in an accident aren't necessarily tied to an airbag but that doesn't mean they aren't tied to an airbag right takata airbags covers more than 30 million inflators and more than 200 models including honda stellantis general motors ford nissan tesla bmw toyota jaguar land rover daimler vans vans dang daimler vans uh, mitsubishi subaru mercedes-benz ferrari mclaren porsche mazda uh, i like that we are ensconced between uh, like mazda is ensconced between karma fisker spartan fire porsche and mclaren and ferrari <laughs> right one of these is not like the other <laughs> so bmw said um owners who need to replace their airbags will receive a recall letter starting january 16th meanwhile today they issue a do not drive warning so for the next month just hang out right exactly what are you supposed to M do until month then? and two weeks forget your holiday plans <laughs> yeah it's like the wasps in the air vent don't use your primary bathroom well that was a month ago Candy. bro yeah <laughs> Ah, <sighs> yeah, the mayoral mansion. Anyway, um, there's your BMW recall for December 2nd. The PSA, do not drive your BMW. <laughs> you don't need it around the holidays. Right. If you need an excuse to get out of holiday events, there you go. The dog ate my homework and BMW issued a do not drive. So I can't show up. And I can't do my homework. So have a good holiday. Anyway, the next article is over in the Mobile Channel. Bashful Golden Mole detected in South Africa after 87 years. 
The golden mole that swims in sand has resurfaced in South Africa after 87 years in the wilderness. In the wilderness? When many specialists feared it had become extinct in the wilderness? Resurfaced in the... Okay, whatever. Anyway, the article is over at fizz.org. It doesn't have a byline, which, I don't know, it just says editor's notes. Um, anyway, the De Winton golden mole has been detected for the first time in 87 years in South Africa. Where has it been hiding this whole time? I don't know. Traces of two De Winton's golden moles have been found under the sands of a beach after a detective novel search, said Endangered Wildlife Trust Senior Field Officer Esther Matthew. Esther Matthew? It's two first names. Uh, on Tuesday. So EWT in University of Pretoria um, had researchers that covered up to 18 kilometers of dune habitat a day as they spent months hunting for signs, said Matthew. The blind moles are cute, but excessively timid. By the way, to answer your question, um, where have they been hiding? They don't know. Well, that's right. Because <laughs> it took a while to find them. <laughs> Uh, and they are blind themselves, so not like they could walk up and say, hey, I'm right here. They don't even know what's around them. There are 21 species of golden moles, and the De Wintons were detected using environmental DNA samples, skin, hair, bodily excretions. Whoa, do not bring a black light to that beach. Taken from the soil at Port Nolith, I guess, beach on the northwest coast. Um... I wonder if Dunkstar knows about this location and this beach because he's from South Africa. So um, more than 100 samples were collected from the dunes. Even now, the researchers have not physically seen the blind mole and neither has it. That has an iridescent coat um, sheen that allows it to swim through sand. It does look like it's sheeny. Would you call that a Martin <laughs> sheen or... Yes. They're not all gems. I just tell them. Anyway, they left no sand hill unturned, and now it's possible to protect the areas where these threatened and rare moles live, said Biggs. Wow. So uh, they have apparently signs of it, but they've never seen it. How do they know that the signs are actually for these? says the use of environmental DNA was a case study of how much or how such forward looking uh, forward thinking technologies can be used to find other lost species. How do they know the team found traces of four other golden moles in the same region? I guess they can distinguish it from the other species based on the DNA tests. 11 have now been discovered again. Wow. All right. I guess I got to take their word for it, right? Hmm. We must shut down all operations that might harm the possibility of. Sorry, I might be bringing up some baggage. Not for us, but for other uh, parties that we know about that had to suffer from <laughs> somebody saying, hey, 
in that hill over there. <laughs> there uh, I won't even get into it because it'll end up doxing whoever. <laughs> right. <laughs> okay. We'll see y'all. Let's move on to the next article. <laughs> this one's getting dangerous. Oh, this just in. I hear the person screaming. <laughs> they must be watching. Hmm. Exactly. <laughs> okay. The next article is over in technology today. Cosmic cartography mission. NASA's IMAP to set sail for interstellar mapping. Man, this screams Star Trek. I love yep. this. This I is am... crazy that this is actually science. So in the future, in the future, people are going to look back at this and go, oh, wow. You know, I cannot believe that grandpa had to live through this era of slow be like rolling. the rotary phone. Exactly. But for me right now, hearing all of this about artificial intelligence, <laughs> artificial intelligence blowing up the way it is um, and not airbags. And and now setting sail for interstellar mapping just sounds so freaking awesome. But I know that all of this is going to be ultimately meaningless to me. Um, but I'm so happy for everybody else that's going to be benefiting from this in the future. Uh, IMAP set to launch in late April to May of 2025 marks a key phase in space exploration, focusing on mapping solar wind interactions. So the article is over in SciTech Daily. So again, I always say this uh, whenever I bring up SciTech Daily and a, a couple of other sites that we aggregate. Um, they go really deep into the, the physics, math, science of this. And so um, I guess hold on to your butts when you start reading it, because there's a lot of huh. Um, and when I stumble across this stuff, I tend to want to go down the rabbit hole and and uh, do some research so that I'm not so ignorant of what's going on. Um, but invariably, there's a limit to everybody. Everybody's bandwidth is only so wide. I pick my battle pretty well. So while I can't go really deep into this, maybe you can if you dedicate the time. Desiree Apodaca from NASA put the article together. Again, it's posted over at SciTechDaily.com. And IMAP. Um, is the Interstellar Mapping and Acceleration Probe, it, which successfully completed Key Decision Point, KDP-D. This milestone allows the mission to move from development and design to the assembly testing and integration phase, IMAP's planned launch date, which was no earlier than February 2025, was also reevaluated during the KDP-D and has moved its target launch window to April or late May. Um, Actually, it says from late April to late May 2025. So <clears throat> this is it being um, put together. And uh, this is the what they are saying is preparing to install the medium gain antenna and the IMAP uh, on the IMAP spacecraft. This is pretty cool. Um, I saw a picture of one of these where somebody forgot to bolt it down or something and it tipped over. Oh, <laughs> so, no. Like, was yeah. it like the tool bag and the wrench? It's a little worse. Well, in space? that's out in space. It it poses no threat, they say. But this with gravity, it like fell over and there's a picture of it. Like they basically have to rebuild the whole damn thing because of this one little slip up. 
So it was a collaborative effort and, and uh, had public engagement. Principal investigator and Princeton University professor David McComas um, led the IMAP mission, which has an international team of more than 20 partner institutions. I won't go through them all. You can do that. Um, the public can watch the spacecraft come together in real time via a live feed from APL's clean room, which is now available available to watch at any time on the IMAP mission website, which is just freaking awesome. That's um, really amazing. Unless it's like Big Bang Theory, and then you might end up watching Penny and uh, 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 what's his name? I forgot his name. Leonard? Leonard, yeah, in the clean room. You might want to be careful. So viewers uh, can watch the continuous stream to see exactly how IMAP develops from a bare bones structure to a complex, fully operational spacecraft. This is so awesome. And that's the end of this article. It doesn't go deep into this. Um, but I'm going to throw, let me throw this link into um, the chat as well. So if you're interested in it, you can go to imap.princeton.edu. So they even did a subdomain for it. That's pretty nice. Wow. This is the kind of lowering the friction so that people can um, approach it, you know, and that's what they're talking about. Um, where is it? Down here, public engagement. This is what's needed, you know. You can sit there and watch this thing being built and everybody in their bunny suit. Well, I think you have to get the public um, knowing about it, interested <laughs> in it. If you can hype it up, I think it helps with future funding, etc. Yeah, I, I totally buy into this, you know, that kind of thing. I have no idea what NASA's IMAP is all about, but here is a link. And now I get to see where the millions of dollars are going. It doesn't have any bearing on me, but if I see something bearing, you know, bearing fruit in terms of it's in a clean room, what the hell is a clean, but you, a lot of people just, they don't necessarily care to have that intellectual curiosity. And they're like, well, it doesn't impact me, not in my backyard, not get off my lawn, that kind of a thing. And that really does a disservice to all the rest of humanity. Um, you know, the, these same people are the benefactors of all of this hard science, yet willfully ignorant. So I encourage people to go and follow the link. I mean, if you've never... You may not know or benefit from it from your perspective, but I guarantee you, you've benefited from the relentless pursuit of discovery of science, the clothes that you're wearing, the cars you're driving, the house and materials that you're sitting in. You may think that, oh, well, oh, and then like people are like, well, I built my house. Stop thinking so narrow. It's not necessarily just about your particular context. Let's keep going. I got to well, get off the soapbox. Awfully inclusive of you. <laughs> I'm an inclusive kind of person. Anyway, the next article is over in the continuity report. 10 time travel movies. Um, it says 10 time travel movie rules ranked worst to best. So you would think that this is about time travel movies, but it's about the rules. Um, and I thought that this would be great because I really am interested in spinning up Temporology as one of the early launch shows. 
early is very subjective. It's kind of like the word soon. Soon I will do this or that. But soon could be in two years. <laughs> so let's go over to Screen Rant. Margarita Askarova, uh, which I think is an awesome screen name for a character and apparently a real person. Time travel movies are often riddled with plot holes, but some of them, like Interstellar, manage to stick it to their own rules from beginning to end. They get to stick to their own rules, not stick it to. <laughs> Maybe a slightly different context there. So uh, time travel movies often break their own rules, creating inconsistencies and paradoxes that is the plural for paradox paradoxi. No. Yeah. I just like saying it. That can confuse viewers, much like this stream. Uh, films strive to simplify time travel to make it easier to follow, but some movies have more sophisticated internal rules that require multiple viewings to fully understand. Cough, cough, tenant. Um, <laughs> despite some inconsistencies, cough, cough, tenant. A well thought out time travel movie can still be enjoyable and compelling with strong performances and a captivating story. I agree. Um, creating a time travel movie that makes perfect sense is a challenging endeavor for any director. And the first thing they need to do is establish some ground rules. Let's just move on to the actual articles or the, the article, uh, rules, right? They, so the butterfly effect is number 10. I actually liked the movie. I didn't really like some of the subject matter in it, but the rule in the butterfly effect is you change something in history and it has quote unquote a butterfly effect, which basically means you don't know what the hell is going to happen. So, um, let's see if they actually say what it is. The biggest plot hole is Evan's quick trip to the past where he stabs his hands to get his cellmate to believe him. And the scars magically appear in the present, even though the movie has repeatedly highlighted that Evan is the only one who notices the changes in the timeline. On top of that, Evan is able to remember his alternate past and still be surprised at the new outcome, which is another inconsistency. Uh, that movie gets a little bit worse than that. Um, but ultimately, changing one thing ends up having a chaos type of effect. And while he does do certain things um, in the butterfly effect, this isn't the biggest plot hole. The biggest plot hole is really that throughout it, he continues to try and solve a problem, realizing that there's chaos involved and the proposed outcome doesn't really manifest. So you'll have to watch this. Um, but again, I don't really like the content of it. I like the premise, but I think it could have been a better movie in a different way. Uh, Avengers Endgame 2019. Uh, it says maybe an MCU movie of an epic scale, but it's time travel laws are far from being perfect either. At the beginning, the Hulk establishes that it's impossible to rewrite history simply by traveling to the past. This is seemingly why the Avengers need to put the infinity stones back where they found them. There is so much comic book logic in, or pardon me, mom graphic novel. Um, the, the idea here is though, is that MCU has a multiverse. And so all of this 
can all be hand waved away as being um, a different choice within the multiverse, creating a different timeline. And then when you look at Loki <coughs> and the uh, time loom, it just amplifies the fact that there is countless paths somewhere out there. There is a, a blue Hulk, not a green Hulk because of whatever science led to that. Yet in this, Steve Rogers is able to change his personal past by traveling back uh, to his own time and living out his life with Peggy Carter. That is it, to me, it would have been <laughs> more apropos for him to go back in time and see, or go back to the timeline where he is living his life with Peggy Carter and just realize that there is a moment of him in the omniverse of the MCU where he is happy with Peggy Carter, not our prime Steve Rogers, Captain America. So I don't know if that makes much sense to everybody who might be listening to this, but essentially there are billions of Steve Rogers out there that because an infinite number can be making an infinite decision. Right. So basically they allowed him to change though his primary timeline or Correct. primary instance or whatever. Correct. Yeah. Which that doesn't make a lot of sense. Like the 616 timeline. Yeah. Um, then there's Donnie Darko. I, I don't know. I, I don't want to spend this much time with all of these. Um, it's just going to be too time consuming, but Donnie Darko, it says, um, in addition, uh, Frank, the rabbit's whole existence doesn't make sense up until the point where the real Frank dies. You really have to watch Donnie Darko. It's one of those movies that are, <laughs> it's complex and, and uh, a lot of people basically treat it as if it's a, um, a spiritual uh, experience, you know? I mean, people really love the idea of Donnie Darko. It says here, it's a movie with more of a philosophy than time travel. And naturally its core message is delivered brilliantly in Donnie Darko's dark ending. You'll have to watch it. I'm not going to spoil anything, um, but go on, watch it back to the future. It says every change Marty makes in the past should affect his future. The thing, the goofiest thing about back to the future was the embodiment of the time travel, um, having a delayed, uh, effect on a picture where the people are fading away. I agree. I feel like the picture was perhaps to make the concept accessible to the viewers, because Absolutely. if they tried to make back to the future today, they wouldn't need the photo. People would get what's going on. They could just make a statement like something's off or, or whatever. Right. Yeah. You know, I, like, Hey, Mr. Stark, I'm not feeling so well. And then they just, disappear but see like memory and everything would be instantly modified it wouldn't fade away right you have to have some other cosmic kind of continuity where a person who went back in time starts to forget god you know i just i had a memory about this and like it would just i thought little, i had a brother or a sister or whatever yeah you know something like that not have to hold up a picture so that everybody understands that the brother and it was really weird like 
because like the brother went away first because he was the oldest and then the middle daughter went away then marty started to fade in the real world he his hand became transparent it was it's one of those things that's just so i don't know uh kitschy you know it's just why do it that way it was just to draw it out that time travel took place so tenet tenet is probably the wonkiest time travel continuity movie that i have ever experienced because it doesn't make a, make one lick of sense going you have to go backwards to go forwards water is hot all uh, uh, the absurdity of all of the these breathing. yeah the breathing th well, and it seems like not everybody had to actually suffer through that exactly it didn't appear to be applied uniformly but tenant is definitely worth a watch it's a lot of fun to watch uh that's for sure so christopher nolan's tenant turned out to be a lot more confusing than it should have been in part because the movie fails to explain its own time travel or reverse entropy rules fully and that's kind of what it's talking about is reverse entropy which hints at being time travel but it's not really time travel it's inverting entropy it all just seems goofy it didn't rise to the level of interstellar which is oh i thought would be the next movie but i bet you number one is interstellar so then there's terminator uh terminator um basically you go back in time you kill somebody it eliminates them in the future but the problem is that what led to x may actually stop the ability for you to go back in time because it's not needed oh right, right? so if you eliminate somebody in the past and they were the impetus for going back in time why did you go back you see, <laughs> exactly it becomes <laughs> a paradox so the terminator has essentially made them the central theme of the franchise them being the terminator and them going back to kill kyle reese who is john connor's father but before that it's uh sarah connor who becomes the mom of kyle reese but kyle reese actually ends up going in the pa okay never mind i'm just gonna scrub this and, and move forward anyway terminator is a great movie you should watch it anyway the terminator so planet of the apes um it says all of that has a scientific basis the only time planet of the apes messes up is when it changes the real life math to fit the narrative um a team of astronauts from 1972 ends up in 3978 by accident and yet they remain youthful since they have been subjected to time dilation now that's actually true we experience time dilation uh, when we move faster than light um this is experienced in interstellar in a different way due to proximity i believe to a black hole um anyway the first planet of the apes movie is still a sci-fi masterpiece according to the article i actually love the world building in this planet of the apes um but i don't know how people really can attach to it in in any way um it's just it's fun to just suspend disbelief and i find it really interesting uh, and if you watch all of the movies every single movie there's one that actually tells you how this came into existence and i think it's the modern 
retelling of Planet of the Apes, and I can't remember what the actual name of it is. But anyway, one of them gets one of the apes gets taught um, language, and then another researcher is like abusing one of the apes, and that basically sets into motion. So the one coming out in 2024 is Kingdom of the Planet of Apes. I don't know if that's right. the one you're referencing. No, not at all. No, no, no. Because it's a brand new one. The one that I'm talking about is an, is one from like maybe 15 years ago or so. Not a big deal. Um, but I don't know how they modify the, the math to fit the narrative. Because this, theoretically, if you were to be able to... <laughs> to do this then yeah i mean moving forward 2000 years in the future may and then having the foundational world building that you in 1972 you taught apes how to speak you could end up 2000 years in the future with apes controlling the country because humans blow themselves up or whatever then there's groundhog day um which is number three in this list says it's unclear why Phil is the one who got stuck in the loop. By the way, according to discussion about this, that like the director and the and the notes and stuff, um, Phil spent ten thousand years in that loop. Um, but to him, it's the I same. I don't day. feel like you really get the sense of that as a viewer. Yeah, you definitely don't. Um. I think, but maybe that's just a rumor and it's been propagated kind of like, you know, eBay was constructed for a, a, a personal purpose or etc. You know, th there's these stories about that kind of stuff, but so <laughs> it's really funny. It says, uh, still Groundhog Day has become a cult classic for a reason and it's then groundbreaking plot with strict time loop rules is part of it. I don't know if that's really the reason. I, I think it's because of Bill Murray. The, right, Brian I mean, Doyle. that movie could have been made with somebody else in the league and it might not have been nearly as much of a hit. Yeah, I agree. So Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban. Um, I think this is the Time Turner episode. Yeah, they even mentioned it right here. The Time Turner has worked the way uh, the same way for the entire movie, allowing the user to go back five hours maximum, um, which can create a paradox, but because it's only five hours, the paradox would dissipate. Um, as long as you don't keep on looping again and again within the five hours and never leaving. And of course, hey, I called it Interstellar 2014. Famous for heavily relying on real life science. Yep. Um, a lot of discussion about the embodiment of the black hole. They even mentioned Tenet in this. Christopher Nolan's Interstellar is just as complicated as its later film Tenet. But in this case, all of the confusing parts start making sense closer to the end. Interstellar is famous for heavily relying on real life science. And when it comes to space and time travel, so young Mirth feels a strange present in her house and bizarre things like books falling out of the shelves. It's all because um, Matthew McConaughey uh, went back in time and caused that weird presence in an effort to try and save the world 
because their world was dying earth was dying and so this this is it's it's a fun movie interstellar um and much bigger i mean christopher nolan tends to at least for me kind of hit it out of the park so um and it's not it's cerebral stuff you have to think about it and ponder it watch it again and you catch things even tenet which i think is absurd um i still watch it again and again because i catch certain things oh yeah that's interesting um yeah it's really neat the ending of tenet is pretty fascinating it's auroribus the the snake eating oh, the snake right. and that's tenet you know and tenet comes from a, a plaque that has the word tenet in it it's it's pretty pretty cool a little bit of truth and reality makes everything so much more em embraceable embraceable anyway um i spent a lot of time on that um but i really enjoy time and time travel concepts so let's move on uh the next article is over in the mobile channel this is another psa agricultural officials confirmed 25th case of cattle anthrax in north dakota this year um this is about you but have you heard of the first 24 <laughs> nope <laughs> nope um anthrax is actually naturally occurring it's in soil it's a biological uh beast bacteria um and uh, you know you just you don't hear about it until something makes it flourish but it's natural um we humans know about it because it was weaponized and and then <laughs> leaked from a base <laughs> because somebody felt compelled to be a goober um anyway the articles over at fizz.org again there isn't a byline but it says in the first case reported in the state since august all in grant county and neighboring Hedinger and adams counties which is really a strange way to phrase all of that the north dakota department of agriculture said in a news release thursday those cases have led to about 170 cattle deaths so it's not 25 cases right i i'm kind of thinking that's 170 cases unless they're preemptively oh they're culling maybe yeah that might be the actual yeah while it's unusual for to see a case so late in the year agriculture commissioner doug goring said the area has seen unusually mild weather uh, recently that has allowed cattle to remain in pasture land where anthrax thrives okay so yet another unexpected outcome of climate change climate change every day i think we've had some odd thing that's going on and it's all because of climate change many producers in the affected area worked with veterinarians to administer vaccinations earlier this year the disease is not contagious it's caused by bacterial spores that can lie dormant in the ground for decades and become active under ideal conditions such as drought really ideal drought is ideal for anthrax okay in 2005 109 cases led to more than 500 confirmed animal deaths with total livestock losses estimated at more than a thousand so it doesn't seem like a hundred and uh, well what is this a hundred 25 cases that turn into 170 cattle deaths 
18 cases of anthrax were confirmed in 2006. Outbreaks in the area and the U.S. are rare, as a vaccine for livestock is cheap and easily administered. Well, so that's good. But I also wonder, too, if it's one of these, the actual cases versus the confirmed cases. Yeah. Yeah, they don't really say that it was due to calling, right? No, they don't. Mm -mm. So, yeah, I mean, the weaponized aspect of it is what freaks everybody out, but they don't realize that it's a naturally occurring thing. Yes, somebody was stupid, and they even mentioned it in the article. So, um, just something to pay attention to. Um, the real reason why it was even brought up is because it references the fact that uh, climate change is causing this knock-on effect. North Dakota should be frozen, <laughs> but no. Right. <laughs> it should be under snow right now. Yeah. Uh, the next article, oops, is delayed for a second here. Hold on. Let me throw the North Dakota article into the chat. The next article is over in Technology Today. Solar power is growing. Now Georgia wants to store more of its energy. That basically is predicated on batteries. So let's see if the article talks about it. Drew Kahn or Can over at the Atlanta Journal-Constitution uh, is the byline, but it's published in techexplore.com. Look at all these. How Seems like an awful lot of towers. Good God, that's just insane. Obviously, it's power distribution node. So somewhere down here is power. Um, and it's just uh, it's just these huge power line towers. It's pretty amazing. Anyway, that's the picture. Sorry, folks. So look at the town name. Sorry, where what? Oh, down here. Social circle. <laughs> that seems so modern. A decade ago, the state's largest electric utility, Georgia Power, took its first major step toward a future powered by the sun when it installed thousands of solar panels on 150 acres outside the town of Social Circle. Outside their Social Circle. Uh, the project was the utility's first large-scale solar installation. In installation? What? Installation. It's because I my brain started combine two things <laughs> well my brain started talking to itself about making something snarky about wyoming but <laughs> anyway um and though georgia still relies heavily on fossil fuels to meet its energy needs today the state consistently ranks among the top 10 for installed solar so pretty cool and so what did i say right at the beginning of this article the key Batteries. Massive clusters of batteries known as battery, battery energy storage systems, which is like the no shit news at 658. So last year, Norwegian clean tech startup Fryer Battery announced plans for a $2.6 billion factory in Coweta County to build batteries to store power produced by the sun. The company has not broken ground yet, but said it expects to begin production in late 2026. Bass come in different shapes and sizes from small batteries connected to rooftop solar arrays as a power backup source 
two large systems that can provide electricity to hundreds of homes and businesses. Some rely on different chemistries too, but the purpose of each is to is generally the same to store large amounts of battery uh, energy in the battery. Um, there's a hot battery that exists that's supposed to be pretty amazing. I don't know if it's in public uh, or, or, or a large scale production, but what's neat about it is it can never go super critical because if oh, it wow. cools off, it shuts down. Well, that's very important. So and that's when good. It, yeah, I wonder if that's involved here. Yeah, I don't know. So as of the middle of the year, Georgia has estimated 5,200 megawatts of solar capacity installed statewide. Um, enough to power roughly 626,000 homes, nearly all in the form of utility scale arrays that cover hundreds of acres. Again, I'm just going to poke this bear. Solar power is not defensible. When a BB can destroy a functional part of the apparatus and you have to replace it, you got a problem. When a bullet can go through multiple solar panels and shut down a large portion of it, of the grid, you've got a problem. The same thing with, uh, we had a spat uh, or spate of, um, of, um, people shooting like at power, power distribution. stations. Yeah. yeah. You know, those should be robust enough to withstand somebody firing a bullet into it. Um, but solar panels, they are not robust. You'll never be able to make them cost effectively robust enough to withstand something like that. But dust lowers their ability. Misalignment lowers their ability. They're not potable. They're not, they're not defensible. I mean, to start relying on this is one thing in times of peace and no strife. But if you don't have something already ready to go to fall back on, it's, you know. Well, I agree. I think we should build up solar, but we can't rely on it 100%. Yeah, I agree. So I hope we have a backup. It, it'll And it'll always be the really, we're going to move to all of this green renewable energy. And then when we need the failover, it's going to be wildly expensive. But it'll still be power but we'll still have power and that's what's important. Anyway, don't be surprised by it, people. So the next article is over in hometown daily. Some airline pilots carry plane trading cards. Here's how to get one. Um, just pro-life tip. Don't charge the cockpit. I won't do that again, mainly because <laughs> I'm on a no fly list, but still Delta airlines pilots have aircraft trading cards to hand out to passengers who ask. Did you know that? I have never heard of this. It's pretty neat. Jordan Hart and Taylor Raines put the article together over at businessinsider.com. Oh, they're holographic too. That's pretty cool. And I had no idea. That's pretty awesome. So um, it says here, many people have learned through viral social media posts that Delta Airlines and Frontier Airlines aircraft trading cards Delta told Business Insider the program was created to share a passion for aviation with customers. Wider knowledge of the program could cause issues for flight crew. I agree. Um, so a viral TikTok from Monday showed a man securing his first trading card from Delta Airlines pilot. 
from a Delta Airlines pilot, and many of the 14.5 million viewers were surprised to learn of their existence. Well, I hate to say it, but you can't you can't do this and try and maintain exclusivity in a world where instant global distribution of information is possible. What did okay, you see? this has been around for 20 years. Oh, you got to be kidding me. It says it right there. A Delta spokesperson told Business Insider that the trading cards are exclusive to its pilots and are a way for them to inspire a passion for aviation and loyalty to the airline. Delta has created six total trading card collections since the program started over 20 years ago with each featuring a different aircraft in the company's fleet corresponding to the type of each uh, plane each pilot flies. The generations of Delta trading cards date back over 20 years. The set includes planes Delta no longer flies like the MD-90 and the Boeing 747. Look at that. Man, that's really cool. That is really amazing. And it's just been flying under the radar for 20 years. And now it's on TikTok. So everybody and their grandmother is going to be banging on the doors trying to get these. How many other airlines do you think will do these now? Yeah, I don't know. The cards are redesigned every five years to give them a refreshed look. A spokesperson told Business Insider, the pilot group even voted on the current collection's final look, which went live with 11 unique cards in in October 2022. So wait, it's every five years. That's more than 30 years. Huh? They do a set every five years, basically. Am I assuming that this is one? Is this one set? It may right. be. So five. Like the first line. That 10, looks, well, 15. That's more than 20. 20. Yeah. I mean, unless. Oh, I see. Okay, this might be. Idea. This might be like one deck. Yeah. Right. So five. No, I don't know. I don't know how it works. I don't see how this works. Right? Because there's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven lines here. If this is the back and this is the front, that's the back, this is the front. What doesn't make sense is the top area. Yeah. But they might have changed up how they how many they do or whatever. Yeah. Huh, interesting. So it's pretty cool. Um there's more to this article, but um, it says here Frontier has its own trading cards and wants you to collect them all. This one has a bird and the <laughs> Betty the Bluebird. <laughs> what? I guess they call it the Airbus A320. Zippity Doodah is the official motto. I'm sorry. This is just too much for me. And just screams Frontier. <laughs> For some reason, it just screams Frontier. You know, isn't Frontier the one? No, I don't know. I won't say anything about it because I like the idea of it. United also released a limited edition trading card set in June 2023 to celebrate its 100th Instagram follower. What? 100th? That's it? It only has 100? Maybe Maybe they just started their Instagram account. In June, I hope. Anyway. (laughs) Right. Spirit has a set of digital trading cards that show off our fleet, which are viewable on social media. What? 
no physical media. It's horrible. Anyway, that's it for that one. Um, let's keep on moving. Did I throw? No, I didn't. Okay, so here we go. Next article is over in hometown daily investigation exposes yet another small town. That is a little more than a law enforcement honeypot. So won't go into all of the, uh, soapboxing that I can do about this, but I am going to jump straight on over to techdirt.com. That's where this is uh, aggregated from Tim Cushing. And so we only get this little bit, um, that they provide and, um, then we link back to them. And so Tim Cushing put this article together for techdirt.com and it goes quite into a bit of uh, context as to what's going on with this. But law enforcement for profit is an ugly proposition. Most of us immediately think of civil asset forfeiture, which is generally just cops going shopping for stuff they want or cash to buy the stuff that they want, which isn't subject to outside oversight, by the way. If you have an asset forfeiture, it is a bitch to try and get it back, apparently. Um, but there's other undercurrent of corruption that runs through small town America, places where cops and their supposed oversight have uh, converted small stretches of highway into ATMs. Hmm. Hmm. I wonder where one of those would be. Yeah, well, let's. we won't talk about it. Um, otherwise, it's real easy to dox marijuana. So what's really interesting about this is it's not a new thing, not even for tech dirt going back almost a decade. They find an article about Oklahoma department of pay, uh, public safety, pulling the plug on Stringtown, Oklahoma, right? A town with a population of 410 that seemed to rake in $500,000 in speeding tickets alone in 2013. That total represented 76% of the town's total budget. That would be the wow. second time the town was stripped of its ability to write speeding tickets. The first 10 years earlier, four years later, it was the town of new Miami, Ohio, making national headlines. The small town was ordered to by the state appeals court to refund more than 3 million in speeding camera citation fees, ending a six year battle between those wronged and the government that profited from being wrong. It's not government. It's greedy humans. It's greedy bastard humans. The court said the town was free to collect fines for speeding so long as they could find it constitutionally. But the town argued that it was that doing it constitutionally was too hard. So we have to violate your constitutional rights. Hmm, that's always good when your town is saying that in court. Yeah, I named this enforcement abuse tried in a small town. I was going to call this bootlicking in a small town. The people that allowed this to actually take place allow for uh, oppression. Now, I understand it in certain places where you have to be a little bit more enforce based because so much abuse is taking place. But when you swing the bat for the fence like this, this is spectacular. $3 million in speed camera citation fees in a town that couldn't possibly muster $3 million in speeding no. tickets. I mean, they, those no. cameras must activate with half a mile over the speed limit. 
Exactly. And I think you have to have a lot of people involved to really do this, particularly over a long period of time. As of 2010, Fenton was home to 379 residents in a space covering roughly 20 blocks. 2010 was apparently the town's population watershed, as ProPublica notes that its expose of this speed trap town, the current population barely clears 200. Drivers reported receiving as many as 12 tickets during a single traffic stop, all, with all infractions being routed through a court whose parking routinely overflowed with out-of-town drivers seeking to challenge obviously bullshit citations. This is Wait, so they were handing out multiple tickets at one time? Yeah. Brookside, Alabama was completely subservient to its police force whose hunger for cash had converted a nearby highway into a playground for opportunists and the local court into a kangaroo court for out-of-town drivers. Hmm. Fenton brought in $1.3 million that way. A village of 226 people. Pretty impressive. And forfeitures. Yeah, try that in a small town. Abuse happens in the dark. And that's what this was until people got sick of it and brought it to light. You and then used a vehicle, which is usually the federal government. Why do you think states, some states, want federal government to get the hell out of their backyard? It's because they want to abuse the inhabitants of that local community, or they want to make it so homogenous that if you step out of line, you're not invited back to the community. There's a limit to that. You see? Just because I don't get along with licking the boots doesn't mean that I should be thrown in jail or fined for, you know, supposed speeding. There's a lot more to this article, by the way. Um, those are the actions of someone who knows their actions are indefensible because the statement above it says when we visited Fenton in September to observe court, Judge Alfred, as he is referred to in his court records, donned a black judge's robe, walked down the hall from the mayor's office, and sat at the bench. No one was waiting to have their cases heard. After Holmes, the local prosecutor, noted that the record um, that several people had missed their court date. Alfred said court is now adjourned. Afterward, he refused to speak with us and went back to his office. They continue there. They're also the actions of someone who never expected their lies to be exposed by reporters who don't actually live near Fenton, Louisiana. Alfred underestimated ProPublica, and because he did, he had to do a hasty walk of shame out of the court and into his office where he could safely ignore requests for comment. Records show drivers who don't show enough deference to local cops are hit with higher fines than those who are more subservient. Notes written on tickets let the court know which drivers were rude and the request these drivers not be allowed to talk their way out of citations with less than subtle phrases like bad attitude, do not fix. If a driver decides to blow off this small town and its mercenary version of law enforcement, the town does everything it can to punish them anyway. For those who miss court and don't pay, the consequences can be severe. Fenton sent the Louisiana Office of Motor Vehicles at about 750 requests to suspend driver's licenses between 2018 and June. I guess 2019, I suppose. There's no date in there. 
a number on par with much larger municipalities in the state. So essentially they were bullies. On the other, the, the final statement in this is, on the other hand, there's no legitimate way this town can get its hands on $3 million in funding without pulling bullshit like this. And when there are millions on the line, it's extremely easy to ignore the criticism of the people footing the bill. Yeah. Well, that was an interesting article. I mean, it's not good that all these situations exist. Yeah. Tim Cushing, by the way, um, I've read several like we aggregate that little snippet so i end up going over to tech dirt and i this is one of the things that i say to people when i'm giving talks we have the ability to reach out to the world's knowledge and what we don't know we don't know and so i love these little snippets that roll through hometown because it's a click away to get to the source and then i end up learning about somebody like tim cushing who does the deep dive for me because I would never have known about this without the reporter. So uh, kudos to them. Um, so go over to tech dirt, show them some uh, love and attention and um, be nice. And I hope you don't fall prey to any of this small town shit. I love small towns. I hate small towns that are abusive particularly their law enforcement. Um, I don't mind being told to get off somebody's lawn if I'm on their lawn, but them taking my car because I ran a, a speed trap five miles over, yeah, kiss my ass. Anyway, let's keep going. Last article for tonight. It's over in Prime Glass. Philadelphia Museum returns 16th century muse uh, manuscript to Peru. Federal investigators found the six-page manuscript at the Rosenbach Museum and Library had been illegally removed from a larger volume. Hey, what I kind of see as odd here is thinking about the U.S.'s history. It clearly was not, or presumably it was not from the U.S. to begin with, right? Right. right it had to come from somewhere else so this is different than in, if it was in italy or something you know and this is kind of interesting right it seems like there is a concerted effort to go back through all of the acquisitions in libraries and in museums and uh th these little um what hordes of documents and products items um and returning them from whence they came notably when there isn't the provenance, when the chain of custody isn't substantiated through documentation. Federal investigators found that the six page manuscript at the Rosenbach Museum and Library had been illegally removed from a larger volume. This article, by the way, is over at um, theartnewspaper.com, which is something that we began uh, aggregating um, based on a I believe it was the court case that was talking about um, was the something mural. about copyright, maybe it was a mural, uh, and that's we right. Were, that's right. We were discussing that the, the artist had protections that superseded uh, the school um, wanting right. to cover up a, what is currently perceived as a distasteful uh, piece of artwork, <laughs> and the the law 
that was being leveraged prevented them from covering it up because it would have detracted from the art. <laughs> yes, that was a very interesting one. Yeah, a lot of times if we're reading an article and it cites to another source yeah, and we'll it's go. something of, of interest, we'll then add that source. I don't know how to pronounce their first name. I don't know if it's Theo Belchi um, or Theo Belsi. Uh, I'm not sure. Um, but either way, thank you very much. The um, article continues uh, that it was apparently uh, the manuscript, which dates to 1599 and documents the formation of the first theater troupe in the Americas, was initially purchased by museum founder Abraham Simon Wolf Rosenbach in the 1920s during a visit to Peru. Federal investigators began researching the background of the manuscript in 2017 after a request from the Peruvian government eventually tying the Rosenbach's pages to a larger bound volume of texts. The six pages held by the Rosenbach were found to have been illegally removed from this volume well in advance of their acquisition. Neither the museum nor the U.S. Department of Justice have claimed that Rosenbach had any reason to believe the pages were unethically procured at the time he bought them. I guess it's one of those don't ask, don't tell kind of scenarios. Where the hell did these six pages come from? Would have been my question. Right. And I mean, it seems like anytime you would be buying art or literature from centuries ago, wouldn't yeah. the question be like, where did this originate? How do you have this? Wow. How would you like to be known as this? Rosenbach's intensely acquisitive so that's a new word for me acquisitive behavior earned him the nickname the terror of the auction room wow yeah they sought out peruvian colonial treasures including paintings manuscripts books and other artifacts to the point that they were named the terror of the auction room yeah, a large collection of historical documents and ephemera from the colonial era, North and South America, including wow. devo devotional materials, newspapers, treaties, contemporaneous biological, biological, biographical texts, legal documents, and more. Yeah, that, that's where this article actually ends. So quite fascinating. If you want to go and read a little bit more about it, because we always leave more um, for you to, it's kind of like, um, alternate reality game and an ARG, right? So, um, you go over there and you'll find something in this article that we didn't really discuss, but it might pique your curiosity enough to continue to surf the art newspaper. And, uh, we encourage you to do that. So that is it for tonight. That's all 10 of our articles. Thought it was a good array. Um, and that's kind of how hometown operates. Six main categories, 50 channels, each with a, a, a group of um, sources. Some of them span multiple entries um, into the, the categories, but they all have their own little niche. So if you are interested in something, can almost guarantee that there's something in here. But um, there's a couple of things that just don't get really discussed, like politics and whatnot i might be in hometown but um we don't talk about it on the show 
A lot of politics is just opinion. Um, all right. Well, that's it, folks. With that, we are all done for tonight. Remember on Saturday and Sunday, it's a 6 p.m. show, typically about an hour. Um, on Monday through Friday, it's 8 p.m. Again, typically an hour long show. If you don't make it, I understand. You can download the podcast. You can download or watch the YouTube video. You can watch the VOD here on uh, Twitch. Go over to Discord, introduce yourself. Above all else, follow us in all of these places. <laughs> so follow us here on Twitch, follow us over on YouTube, follow us over on um, Apple Podcasts or any podcast. I prefer Apple Podcasts, uh, where if you leave a five-star review there, I will quote you verbatim. Go, somebody go do it now. It'll make me very happy. And it helps out the show tremendously. Pretty cool. Anyway, that's it. I'm Merwatt. That's hometown.com. And up there is the visualizer for the sentient AI. Who's going to say, uh, adios, baby. No, don't do that. (laughs) You you do you. (laughs) Good night, hometown citizens. We will see you tomorrow at 6 p.m. Eastern. Pick up that can. Goodbye.